You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the umpteenth edition of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast recorded here at the permanently sun-kissed Oval Cricket Ground. My name's Phil Walker, Editor-in-Chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine. And if you haven't heard us before, where have you been all our lives? Trust us with a perfect anecdote, or antidote rather, to the fantastical freak show playing out just a short stroll up the south bank of the River Thames. So the country may be a laughing stock of Europe, but informed debate, measured discourse, and respect for the democratic process is alive and well in our guest today, the permanently delightful Joe Harmon, and the suave, mischievous, and downright mighty Derek Pringle. Thank you for joining us, chaps. Derek, in particular, um, naturally, as a devoted listener to the show, Dale, you know that, that we tend to kick off with our chosen moment of the week from the last seven days. Mm. Uh, so coming straight to you, what is that moment of the week? Well, I noticed that Stuart Broad, even though it was in a, a practice match where they make a farce of these things, about 17 aside, mm-hmm. he took a hat trick. Now, as someone who was on a hat trick probably about five times in my first-class career, but never grabbed one. I take my hat off to anyone who gets one because it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I was always a, a guy who kind of swung the ball around and, you know, you maybe get the first two out swinging it away, Nick behind, but you don't want someone to play a miss. So you mm-hmm. always think, got to go for the stump. Right. Full the inducker, shovel yeah. at leg stump. But the amount of times I went down the leg side with it. You of know, course, overcompensating. Know, exactly. So um, I couldn't find out how Stuart actually got his. Um, hat trick, but uh, for a tall bowler, usually in a place like the Caribbean where there's a bit of bounce, it, he must have rattled the timber, I reckon. So, uh, well bowled to him. Done it a couple of times before, of course, well, twice in test matches. Got the knack for it, hasn't he? Yeah. So Trent Bridge, was it India, I think? No. India twice. 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And they were his bet noir to start with, because I remember a tour of India where he went home with an injured fat pad or something on mm-hmm. his foot. Before we come to your moment of the week, Joe, let's have a look at uh, the makeup. Uh, of this test side coming, of course, first test uh, from Anti Barbados, Barbados, first, first, first yeah, test yeah. on Wednesday next week. Um, Broad might have played his way back into this team, of course, he didn't play in Sri Lanka. Um, Sam Curran is the new Tyro star of this England side. Uh, is there a way, Del, can you see that, that Broad has pl- possibly played his way back into this team? Well, I, it's a long time since I've seen a pitch at the Kensington Oval. Not- Traditionally, the, the pitch of the West Indies used to be quite quick and bouncy, but in recent decade, probably, they've become you know spin-friendly spin in the extreme. And I noticed that in the West Indies squad, there's about four or five spinners. So mm. we'll see. But mm-hmm. you'd think that the one ground that still has a bit of bounce is the Kensington Oval, and I think I would go for Stuart Broad there. Whether you need three spinners in the West Indies, not so sure. Obviously, that's the way they went in Sri Lanka. Uh, they become slightly addicted to lower order runs, so that's why I guess they like Sam Current. But you'd think that someone of Stuart Broad's pedigree, getting back with his old mucker, Jimmy Anderson, mm-hmm. that'd be the way to go, certainly for the first test. So and so Sam Curran might not make the cut in your 11? 
Would um, he be the one to make way? Well, Rashid, I would pick. I wouldn't pick three spinners. Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess you'd have Leach and Moen. So then you'd have Moen batting. So you're losing a batsman from the final test in Sri Lanka then, because Besto came in, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I mean, I just looked at quickly a, a sort of eleven. I guess uh, Keaton Jennings uh, will, will open with um, with Burns, Rory Burns, and then you got um, Besto came in at three. Yeah, Route four. A feisty hundred, Besto um, mate. Stokes five, Moen stroke folks six or seven. They could argue among themselves. Mm-hmm. Then I had obviously. I didn't have Curran on the side actually. I so Curran's at eight. I got Curran in, but only, t- only, only, t- you know, Anderson Broad, Anderson Leach. Mm. So mm. I could get Curran to that side. Depends. I mean, I think three spinners is going to be a bit of a luxury in the West Indies at Kensington Oval. Although, yeah, I mean, yes, Shah took seven for a couple of years ago there. So they'll keen. To, they'll certainly want two, but three seems seems a bit unnecessary. I, I've been. We've been putting our teams together for the Wisdom website, wisdom.com. I mean, agonising over it. I couldn't get Broad in, in my team, actually. I just mm-hmm. didn't think they needed mm-hmm. I didn't think they needed that extra bowler. West Indies have been a tough place to score runs in recent years. So I think they'll they'll need those runs more than they'll need those those wickets, I think. Um but it seems very unfair on Broadie, but I thought he bowled nicely when he came back in in Sri Lanka. Obviously in decent form in the warm ups. Mm-hmm. Um but with Cut I think Curran's got seven wins from seven so far. In Curran's test career, yeah, I've been trying to work out how you managed to get your bowlers in. Dell, you've missed out Josh Butler there, and you see, yeah, you dropped, you dropped Butler. Controversial, controversial. Butler, yeah, Butler's not quite made the cut. In that case, Curran doesn't make it. Yeah, okay, okay. Which I think is 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 a pragmatic call. That's what it's come down to, isn't it? It's Curran. It feels like a Curran or Broad. Yeah, you feel like out in the West Indies, you want you want those two spinners, one turning away from the right hander, and of course the off spinner to compensate to. To coincide with with Leach. I, I mean, if you if you analyse it, I mean, minutely, um, I think Rashid only had one really good return in West in Sri Lanka. And yeah. I, I was would reason that both Sri Lanka and the West Indies, the way they it, it turns, it, it's, it's sort of more a pitch for finger spinners where they can shove it in flat, mm-hmm. and, and you just give it a variation, a bit of grip, a bit mm-hmm. of variation in bounce, a bit of grip. It's much trickier, I think, for for leg spinners to to do well there. Although he, he did obviously. He did okay, and mm-hmm. that one big hole. But I think it was flattered by. Did he get a five for a six for? Yeah, he got a five for in the third test, Colombo in the first innings. I would add, overall, I agree with you. I think he bowled very well in the in his first spell oh, of the first test as well. Yeah, but you know, if you're going to pick him, but he is your fantasy player in this eleven, isn't he? And Leach, it would feel harsh to drop Leach. He's had to wait a long time. Bowled very nicely in Sri Lanka, more often than not in that yeah. series. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. It's all about, you know, can you can you give the guys the captain control before it starts to spin before mm-hmm. you are a matchman in the, in the in the game can mm-hmm. you give them control and I guess finger spinners in theory give you more control than wrist spinners and traditionally have done for, for years unless you're showing more just want to add um, interviewed Jason Holder a couple of months ago and I asked him about the pitches in particular um, and and he was quite equivocal about the quality of the pitches out there he said if he could eradicate the variable bounce then he'd be a very happy man which I thought was an interesting perspective because West Indies are looking for results. They're looking for positive results, but he's looking for his team to stay in the match. He's looking for flatter pitches, more uh, more durable pitches. Um, and it's interesting because you'd think their bowling's their strongest. Indeed, suit, really. indeed, yeah. Gabriel and, and Roach. Got to get yeah. the runs. Got to get the runs. Though. The bowlers going to be. Free. This is it. Yeah. He, he said. He said he thinks all in all they're pretty decent cricket pitches. But the key line for me, I just hope they can continue to improve to make for better viewing for the public. So he's aware so, that the pitches hold the key. In, well, if, in, in test well, cricket around the if world, if he's saying that variable bats is, is, is one of the things that's wrong with them, um, and then Broad should certainly play because yeah, he's, indeed, he's tall and mm. it's exaggerated variable bats with tall yeah. bowlers, and it's, it's pretty accurate. Bowled a bowl brilliantly at uh, Barbados last year against Sri Lanka, albeit in a day-night game with the, the funny pink ball. And he was unplayable. And there was variable bounce there, but there was a lot of lateral movement as well. Mm. I think if England are watching that, albeit it was a day-night game, then I think Broad certainly comes right back into the into the reckoning for them. But we shall see. Next next Wednesday it is three test series. England, of course, on a, on a roll after uh, flattening Sri Lanka. The West Indies down in the dumps after getting stuffed by Bangladesh just before Christmas. Uh, that said, they do raise their game uh, against the English traditionally, and we'll be coming later in the show to look at the last 30-odd years of, of West Indies-England tussles. Derek, of course, you played in three series, 84, 88, 91, is that right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah and we'll come to that a little later. 
Joey Harmon, your moment of the moment of the week. Uh, my moment of the week is uh, David Warner. So yeah, penultimate over the innings. You're, you're glued to this stuff, aren't you? I really am. <laughs> Cannot get enough of it. Uh, penultimate over the innings, uh, facing Chris Gale. Uh, he's he's batted the first three balls two dot dot in his usual left-handed stance. Yeah. Switches to right-hander and promptly smashes him six four four. Right. Uh, final over the sorry penultimate over the innings to uh, put them up for a big total, and that's it's kind of. Classic Warner, isn't it? He's playing in a tournament that not many people are following. Yet still, he manages to be uh, headline headline grabbing. What's your impression of that story, Derek? Moving it forward to this upcoming year, right? Well, obviously, we have a World Cup in England in June. We have an Ashes straight after that. Um, if you if we re- go back to to the immediate aftermath after Cape Town, the impression seemed to be coagulating that Smith was had a lot more sympathy attached to him than Warner did and a lot of scribes and pundits were saying at the time it's hard to see Warner back in an Australian cap. How do you see it now after the dust has settled? Well I noticed, I don't know who's, who's been doing their PR but I noticed that they're all trying to stick it all on Warner. Right? Yeah <laughs> indeed and, he, and he's, he's shut his mouth hasn't he Warner? He, well, he's let others talk around it which is probably quite a smart listen, move. I mean, he's, he's, long, he's long had a reputation of being a bit of a wrong you know, old, old oh, yeah. Warner, but he's he's a fantastic player. He's, he's Do you think man. pragmatism kicks in for the Aussies? Well, I, the rumor was that they all say, "Oh, well, you know, Smith and the other lad, Bancroft, would come back," but um, and Warner wouldn't. But I think they're so desperate. The batting's been so rubbish. Mm. They've got the luxury for principles, have they? They, the they haven't. And and also, you know, in my theory that you know that they they cannot they cannot be successful when they're trying to be nice yep. in Australia. They need a bit of mongrel there, and he's King Mongrel. Indeed. No, nicely put. Um all right, as as neither of you are asking, my moment of the week was um I interviewed Ben Folks, not Stokes, Ben yeah. Folks, uh, the day before he and the England side headed off to the West Indies. Um and uh I, I kind of went into the interview Slightly underwhelmed. I wouldn't say wicket keeping is my, my area of expertise by any stretch. And he's always struck me as a very kind of level headed, sort of unflappable kind of character. He obviously had a great tour of Sri Lanka, a, a breakthrough tour with that debut 100 and kept beautifully. Um, I was struck by him though, um, in a way I wasn't necessarily expecting. Uh, he was brilliant on the artistry of wicket keeping um, and how diligently he's developed his art over the, over the years. But he also spoke about last summer and how done in he was by, by the county cricket grind. And he said, even when Surrey were hurtling to that championship win, um, he couldn't concentrate, he couldn't, couldn't focus at all. He said he was zoning in and out constantly. He was getting to 20, 30 uh, on flat oval pitches and hundreds, quote, milli- a million miles away in his head. And he'd had eight eight winters consecutively away with the Lions, he went to the Ashes with the England side, senior England side, uh, and he was, as he, as he said, completely cooked by, by the middle of last summer. And it was only five or six weeks of a break before he was suddenly called up for that Sri Lanka tour that enabled him to get into the, the kind of mindset to, to, to take it on and, and to, to re, re-engage with the game, which, which was interesting because he doesn't give off that kind of vibe. Um, it, does that kind of ring bells with you, Derek? You know, you've been around county cricket for, for a long, long time. Did it ever sort of feel like that in your time? Because you hear a lot now, don't you, about player burnout. It's a, it's a recurring theme, especially amongst the county ranks. Do you recognise that? Well, it was, always, it was always something that, you know, the excuse why England couldn't produce fast bowlers or didn't produce many fast bowlers was because the county... Sure, uh, you felt tired on occasions, but I suppose... Relatively lucky playing with Essex, we were a pretty successful side. You know, when you win, you kind of forget about it a little bit. Mm. It's when you're getting hammered that I think it gets on top of you. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Surrey weren't getting hammered there, as you say. They just won the championship for the first time many years and uh, did very well. Um, wicket keeping, though, these guys do prepare incredibly hard, though, don't they? I mean, you watch them, you know, the wicket keeping drills. Um, uh, and just before <laughs> you feel naked watching, stepped on the pitch. So you just wonder. Also, I think someone like folks, he um, he was initially at Essex, came under Gooch's wing. Gooch, man who loves, you know, yeah. very puritanical, hard working, <laughs> good work ethic. I mean, you know, it's fine. Um, and and he'd have bought into that, I think, mm-hmm. through Gucci. Uh, James Foster said he's never seen anyone train as hard as folks. Yeah, who uh, then actually said the same thing about Ben Stokes. Mm, <laughs> so, mm, mm. Yeah, and, and and therefore I think 
judging from his character, he's somebody who's probably eager to please and to go far in the game, and therefore yeah. he's he's taken on everything that people have suggested. Somewhere you need a bit of a filter, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you you would you will go mad. Yeah, sure. And um, how good is he as a, as a keeper? Do you think because Stuart Alex Stewart, of course, here at the Oval says, well, he thinks he's the best gloveman in the world. He said that he said that to me two, at least two years ago. Right. Well. So you know they, they've obviously thought very highly of him. Um, Can you see why? Essie's obviously never thought James Foster was better. <laughs> they let him go. But um, I think he's very silky smooth. That always gives you an impression that you're a good keeper when you're very smooth. Mm-hmm. What strikes me, though, is he's quite tall for a wicketkeeper. You mm. don't normally get wicketkeepers that tall. Yeah. There was a guy, um, Turner, down at Somerset, six foot two, but no one would probably say, pretend that he was one of the greatest keepers England have ever seen. But, mm-hmm. uh, Tend to be very dapper and neat and, and sh- short and quick on their feet. But, yes. Yeah. Um, folks just seems to maybe he's very good at anticipating. He just seems to take it all very easily. He doesn't ever seem to be hurried when taking the mm. ball or taking the catch Indeed. or making a stumping or whatever. Yeah. So he's either got incredible powers of concentration or he anticipates slightly. I guess you'd have been coming into the the international setup just after Alan Knott would have left. I imagine maybe. You'd Maybe you might have crossed over by a year. Oh, I played probably, against Nottingham. You fact, played against him, sure. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Jack Russell, you played alongside as well yeah. as against yeah, a number yeah. of times. Stuart, again, quoted in this piece about folks, thinks that he has he can get up to the, the level of those two. Do you, do you see that? Well, um, not. You speak to people like Gooch. You should have maybe put that question at the end, or whoever spoke to Gucci recently, but with his interview he did for Wisdom, uh-huh. just to him, because he worked a lot with folks, but probably mainly on his batting. But um, they revered uh, Notty. I mean, yeah. when I was playing for Essex, Fletcher, Keith Fletcher and Graham Gooch would say, well, he's, he's the best yeah. they've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people played. Old England with Godfrey Evans, and reckon he was yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old he was incredible. You know, he'd just mm-hmm. stand up to John Lever and just yeah, take it down the leg side, no trouble at all, as long as he hadn't got to move too much. But, uh, Jack Russell said of not that he was his hero and why he wanted to keep wicket, but he said you couldn't copy it. You could co- copy Bob Taylor because yeah, there was a kind of purity to his to his technique, but he said not yeah. was just a, a man of his own, really. Yeah, I guess I've never really studied them. Uh, not he just seemed to me to uh, make very few mistakes mm-hmm. and, and bring us some brilliant sort of you know. Saves down the leg side and from buys and folks at the moment is is is, is you know he's heading that way. He was brilliant as well on the technique of wicket keeping and crystallised it for me in a way that few others have been able to. And he spoke about the influence that Foster obviously had at Essex, but also from watching Dhoni as opposed to Australian keepers. And he's talking about keepers standing up, and he obviously admires the technique of an Ian Healy. But he was saying if you watch a Foster and a Dhoni as opposed to an Australian keeper. They are, they're right there by the stumps, and there's no give in the hands. And the Australian way is to give slightly, just that split second, but to give a little, to ride with the ball. And he was saying, if you watch Foster, uh, it, he's there already and it's out. He doesn't have any kind of any kind of give at all. Same with same with Donny. It might look a bit mucky sometimes, but with Australians, if you can drag your bats want to drag out, drag his feet out, and then he'll be able to put pull back. He says, but with Donny and Foster, you're out, mm. you're out, you're gone. Uh, and that's what he says he's trying to bring constantly into his own style. I've never seen a worse keeper standing back than Donny. No, this is true. He just tends to <laughs> kick it, doesn't it? Wait, he is a brilliant keeper standing up, though. He is unquestionably a great keeper standing up, Donny. But anyway, Ben Folks, um, he's he's in this side, isn't he? For the for the, certainly this the next three test matches. He is, he's to be honest, the cause of the headache that we all just demonstrated. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, because and Johnny Best, I think as well. Keeps wicket, you, that that does obviously create that extra spot. But folks kept so well, he's he's, he's in for the the long haul. Yeah, just on Best though, Derek, um, is he a, the long term solution at three? Uh, I don't know. He likes to counter attack. That seems to be his thing, and, and and three is not a position to do that from. No, um, I think he's good enough player, and it all depends on how he wants to approach it mentally. Three is a place where you, you tend to consolidate or try and build. Obviously, if you're opening batsman, get you off to 150 opening partnership, then you can probably you know, be a bit more aggressive. I've had too many of those in recent. No, in recent no, years, you have, that hasn't. But but um, he likes to be aggressive, and I think that might just play against his natural instinct to start with. But I think he's probably good enough to you know, adjust. 
as said, uh, West Indies and England lock horns again. It's it's a, always been a titanic uh, battle between the two of them. Historically, of course, the West Indies have been unstoppable in the last decade or so. Of course, it's swung around quite dramatically. Um, but before we come to Derek's own recollections um, of the fast, furious West Indies side of the 80s, um, we, we've, we've got a little bit of audio from the master himself, Mr. Graham Gooch, uh, who weathered many a storm in the West Indies uh, and had the, the misfortune, or maybe even the fortune, to be standing at deep mid-wicket when uh, a certain Sir Vivian Richards uh, was going berserk in Antigua. 56 ball 100. Uh, the inmates rattling their, their cups and saucers from the, from the local jail. And this is Gucci on that infamous game. You know, uh, it was explosive innings, full of his trademark on drives through mid-wicket. Yeah. Best puller, best puller of a cricket ball I've ever seen. You know, not not particularly people bowling bouncers at him, but the short ball, yeah, rocking onto the back foot, picking it up quickly, drilling it through mid wicket along the ground and in the air. I yeah. mean, it was full full of authority, and every Viv Richards innings had that presence about it. You know, yeah, and that's one of the things I speak about quite a lot when I do after dinner speaking. He. He has the uh, had the greatest presence of any cricketer uh, I've seen on a on a cricket field. You know the way he projected himself, the way he carried himself, yeah. the way he walked out there, yeah. the body language with a touch of arrogance and, and, and supreme self confidence. You know, and he, he intimidated a lot of bowlers before they even bowled a ball at him. Yeah, yeah, Fair, you know, because his, his stature. You know, he's a big guy, you know, uh, his nickname was Smokey after uh, Joe Fraser, I think, where he picked up that sort of nickname. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was built like a, a boxer, so uh, he had immense power. I mean, with the bats we use nowadays, or players use nowadays, he would be a seriously... Yeah, frightening. ...valuable cricketer. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I know it is a long time ago, but I was just looking at some of the, the, there's a couple of minutes on YouTube of it, and some of the shots, he's almost, you know, the very sort of bottom hand is coming through, and he's almost taking his top hand off off the handle as he's following through with the with the shot. Um, I, I, I mean, do any do any shots stand out to you? Can you, you know, can you remember any from, from that innings? Uh, no, but I remember him hitting the ball into the prison on one side of the ground quite yeah. a few times. yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a prison on the, uh, I don't know which side of which direction it is. It's uh, as you look out from the pavilion, it'll be on the right hand side, right outside the ground. There's a prison where you can see the bars at the top of the prison, and some of the prisoners are obviously behind the bars and they're rattling their yeah. metal uh, plates and, and uh, cups and things against the bars, and they were going wild. And the, you know, he was he was like bombarding the prison with a ball, so, uh, <laughs> which uh, was great delight for the crowd, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for our bowling side, yeah. Tell- it was an amazing peak six balls, you know. And I say he didn't go out there and unwind and tee off, as, as the modern terminology was. He just picked he just picked our bowlers off. Okay, that was uh, the, the master himself, Graham Gooch, in conversation with Benj Moorhead. That piece appears as part of our section in the upcoming issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, where we look back on 30 years, uh, in fact, 40 years. We go all the way back to 73-4 and that Tony Gregg test match in Trinidad, looking at the history of West Indies England test matches. With Dennis Amos talking us through that series. With Dennis so. Amos himself talking about it, absolutely. So, Derek, you, you were listening to that that audio from your, your old mucker, Gucci. Um, there was an aura around the West Indies in, in that time. You played three home series against them, mm. 84, 88, 91. It's documented in your, in your book, uh, Pushing the Boundaries, uh, Cricket in the 80s, which we'll come to a little bit later. Um, were, you, were you scared? Were you not scared? Were you intimidated? <laughs> were you intimidated by it? Or did you, did you attack it in the kind of cliched sporting way of wanting the challenge and all of that? Because it looks terrifying from the outside. Well, I guess a lot of the, the bowlers had played in county cricket, so it's not like you hadn't seen them. I think if you were suddenly just thrust in, you know, having faced a few dibby doublies most of your life, you know, yeah. it would have been seriously intimidating. But, you know, Joel Garner played county cricket, Lester Clark played here in Surrey. In fact, um, 
I, I first faced him uh, playing for Oxford and Cambridge, and it's the quickest thing possible. Wow. By yards that I've ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, it, it did it did take your breath away a little bit. I mean... Um, so first test match you played against... is the wrong word, but, uh, you know, slightly... You, I think you describe it as relentless in your book as well, when you have four of them, so yeah. there's just, just no let-up. Well, that was the thing. In county cricket, at least you get down the other end. There'd <laughs> <laughs> be a trouble. as quick the other end, or, you know, see it. You know, if you can survive 25 minutes, you might get someone else come off. But uh, when you played them, they just rotated. Who, three who or, three did, or four fast bowlers. Who did you have the most uh, problems with? Their fast bowlers? Yeah. I think all of them probably. Right, <laughs> I mean, okay. I think I didn't average very much against them. <laughs> I did try to hang around for others. I mean, in, in that 91 series, I had a couple of longish partnerships. I mean, my contribution wasn't great, but I think one with Gucci that helped us get into a winning position in, uh, at Headingley in that first test in 91. Well, let's touch on that then. Yeah, so like 27. You but, did, you, know, you I did. Was as well, well, in that you know, I just wanted to hang around for him because he was you know, playing, playing it so well. So, yeah, for those, those of you uh, who don't recall this one, firstly, you've got to pull your socks up because this is one of the all-time games. Gooch, 154 not out in the second innings under leaden skies at, at Headingley. Um, out of 250-odd all-outs, 154 carried back, 250 all-out, and, of course... Um, England's bowlers, including yourself, did the job uh, for a first win over the West Indies in England for a long, long time. 20 odd years. 20 odd years. 22 years, I think. There 69 you go. was the last time I'd won. Um, many people put that innings by, by Gooch at the top of the tree uh, in the whole gamut of test, yeah, test yeah. innings. Um, can you understand that, having stood at the other end for, for a couple of hours? I can, because if you, if you take into account match position, etc., etc., quality of the opposition, yeah. the conditions. I mean, it, it, that, that pitch was slow, so, you know, it negated them to a little extent because, you know, West Indies fast bowlers, they like to whiz three or four past your chin. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the one they pitch up, they have you have played a judicious shot at it and nick it. But, I mean, that, that game required a lot more technique. Uh, you know, you, brilliant technician, Gooch, on that occasion. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they and Malcolm Marshall... Probably not quite in his pomp on the way down, but still a very skillful bowler. Curtly Ambrose at his in peak. In his pomp, yeah. At his peak. And a bit quicker. Cody Walsh coming towards his peak. And yeah. Patrick Patterson, arguably, Jeff Dujon said he's the quickest he ever kept to of all the West Indies bowlers he faced. So, wow. pretty good attack. With with Gooch, did you see much change in his character from from one week to the next around that kind of time? You know, when he'd become the best opening batsman in the world at that point? Well... You know that I think his previous high score in any Headingley test was about 20. Yeah. Six or something like that. The Alderman years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, um, he certainly changed his game uh, from when I first played Essex with him. He, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd go, definitely go and watch him take on the, the position bowlers when he went to bat. He liked to try and dominate. Mm-hmm. I think in the end he just rationalised it a bit more that if he batted, you know, 50 overs, so he still had about 50 overs, then 100. Yeah. And, he and the team would both benefit from that. I want to come back to, to Gooch and the Essex phenomenon, really, a little bit later. But take take yourself back to the '84 series, right? So you're you're a young you're a youngish cricketer. You made your debut, I think, in '82-3 in Australia, but you're still just making your way in the game. And then yeah. you come up against this this lot, and Viv's batting three or four, and Greenwich and Haynes are opening the batting, and you're a young young seamer. Um, we talk about fear. That's pretty intimidating in itself when you've got the ball in your hand, right? Well, I think you heard in that clip from Graham uh, that, uh, you know, Viv, just the way he walks the, <laughs> out to the middle, yeah. intimidated you because you, you knew he was going to, uh, you know, assault you at every opportunity. <laughs> Even your good balls were likely to... I mean, I remember having a team meeting uh, before the first test at Edgbaston. Not intention at that point. It's nil all. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> and... Uh, the plan was, if Viv comes in, you know, maybe try him with a high bounce if you've got the pace or someone like Bob Willis, you know, and try him out early on because he's going to, you know, as Beefy always said, being both used to say, he's a compulsive hooker, he'll always go for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he always went for it, he hit it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but um, my job, you know, it came all down to, you, you mustn't bowl at the stumps because he's so powerful on the onside, you know, he flicks even stuff from off stump through him. So you, your, your, your job is to run in, bowl a good length, but bowl it eight inches, at least eight inches outside. Yeah. Anyway, 
time of day. I'm, I'm on some just after busy. And I remember running in and thinking, that's the plan. And I bowled a couple of balls out there, and both of them went one bounce over square leg, umpire for four. <laughs> and I remember Gow was captain, he ran up, and, he, and you know, he, he wasn't a, a man who demonstrated effusively on the pitch. He just ran out and said, Remember the plan? <laughs> I, said, I said, David, you won't believe it's going to ask the wicketkeeper whether it were the line of those balls. At the end of the over, he did. And they were both, you know, to plan, but he was such a great player. I mean, mm. someone like me. Uh, and at that point, I hadn't really learned to swing it regularly, certainly not away from right hands. I can maybe bowl a bit of an in-dipper. Mm-hmm. But funnily enough, even great players like him, once you can move the ball laterally away from it's a little bit different ball game, and thereafter, I felt the competitions were more even. Right, okay. <laughs> a little bit more even. I mean, not quite even, but <laughs> a little bit more even. And, and, and I, I did get him out a few times. We got him right, Lords uh, Edgeston. So and Lords then, in the eighty-four test? Uh, no, it was eighty-eight. Right, got him out in the eighty-eight yeah. at Lords, and uh, no, I had very little success bowling-wise because that was when still people, because I was tall. What have you? You know, you should be a hit the deck, seamer, right? Uh, hit the deck as hard as you can, and try and bowl as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. And of course, against players as brilliant as Viv Richards, Gordon Greenwich, and those guys, they see pace all the time. You've got to be ninety-four miles an hour if you're going sure. to, you know, hurry them. So even if I'd have got it up to cranked up to eighty-six miles an hour, it's probably about you know, low eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't make any difference. But as, as I say, as soon as you move the ball laterally, yeah, it's a different ball game. There's a, a line in your book. I think this is from the '88 series, actually. When you say at times like the, like the times like that, it was hard to know why you put yourself through the humiliation. So there you are. You're representing England in a Test match, the greatest honour a cricketer can, can have. <laughs> and there are points when you just didn't want to be doing it. Well, it wasn't so much about that. You've taken it a little bit out of context. Have I? It's, <laughs> it's not like journalists do it. Well, no, it, you know, obviously it was, but it was, it was the fact that as soon as you had a bad game, you get dropped. So it was it was to do with selection policy. So context: well. this is '88 yeah, when yeah. you went through four captains. Five it's, of you include exactly, include yourself include there myself, uh, uh, for two two um, sessions here at the Oval. Yeah. Um, dare we recount the story of Gooch's advice to you before you walked the team out in that final test match? Well, only if you want to humiliate poor old David Capel. <laughs> Wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> Wouldn't dream of it, Capes. Okay. Um, other, other highlights, lowlights from your experiences against the West Indies that stick out for you? Well, somebody the other day tweeted, uh, there's a picture of me banging one in short and was smacking it. When he got the world record, or then the world record, one day score at Old Trafford, mm. and they said it's just the greatest cricket photograph ever. I'm not, I'm not sure it is, but <laughs> um, <laughs> and they and they said, oh, you know, poor me are being humiliated like that. And I said, no, no, no. Actually, I found it an absolute privilege to play against great players like him. Yeah, uh, and you know, the older you get, the more you look back at it very fondly. I mean, he probably wasn't that comfortable at the time, but I wasn't anyone getting clobbered. No, indeed. <laughs> can I can I ask you slightly off off piece? There isn't a, a cricketer who played in your era who doesn't say that Viv was was the greatest of his time. But who are the next lot? Who are the who's the two, three, four, five that you that you've seen during your time? Well, you see, uh, after playing, if I'd have, if I'd have only played and then I don't know, gone to run a pub or something, then Viv would have still been number one. Mm. But I reckon that Viv and Lara are about equal number one in my book because really? I watched Lara play uh, as a journalist. Yeah, and he played. One game against him, and uh, he didn't get many. He was in the World Cup, and two World Cup, he was just starting. Yeah. I think uh, Chris Lewis got him out. He did. Cheaply. Hit him in the balls and nicked him off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Lara is an incredible player. I mean, so I'm going to set your Indian fans now because, uh, you know, I think they're well ahead of Tendulkar in my book. Is that because of what he could do to an, he could take an attack of. Yeah, Tendulkar scored a hell of a lot of his hundreds in Asia. Um, but Lara, you know, he got those hundreds against Australia when they were the best team in the world and West Indies were struggling. And he, he, they turned them into a couple of wins, didn't they? Some of the two of his beginnings, I think, resulted in wins. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think somebody like, some journalist, I think, did an uh, analysis of Ted Dorcas hundreds and how many times he did one on the back of them. And mm-hmm. It wasn't that often. Mm. All right, from the 80s as well, from the time when when Viv was in his pomp, who who were who were the cricketers just who were the batsmen just behind him? They might have been a big what, distance behind, but who Border? I, I don't know. <coughs> in, in, it depends what you're judging it on. I mean, Border's an incredible batsman, yeah, but he wasn't as flamboyant as Viv, and, and he just did it a bit more quietly. He, yeah, he didn't come out and strut and 
say I'm going to take you apart today, lads. Yeah, you played a season with Essex, of course, with him. Yeah, yeah several. He played a couple of seasons. Um, but he was a fantastic player. He, he was just a bit, a bit like Alistair Cook in a way. He just decided yeah. he had three good shots. Yeah. And, you know, only when he got to 100 would he start playing maybe his fourth shot. <laughs> but, you know, and, and Gooch, you know, very good player. David Gower, fantastic player. Yeah. Um, Crow was Crow would be up there. Martin wouldn't he? Crow, yeah. Gordon Gordon Greenwich is a pretty useful player. Of course, we'd be getting him. He he gave yeah. a thump. Yeah. Um, Did you play in the '84 Lords Test? Then there were a lot of, lot of Pakistan players. Jarvis Mendes. Yeah, yeah. Did you play in the '84 Lords Zahir, Test? here just a bit earlier than that. Of course, great player. '84, yes, I did. So when Gower uh, declared, that was '84, right? Yeah, but I don't, I don't blame him for declaring. No, sure. Three forty odd in sixty odd overs. I mean. Gooch was banned at that time for having gone to South Africa. When I got back to Essex, he said, well, he had to, you know, we haven't had the West Indies yeah. chance to beat the West Indies for a decade. Yeah. You've got to go for it. Um, it's just that the pitch hadn't really deteriorated at all. Yeah. There wasn't even a variable bit of bounce. Yeah. <laughs> and as one of the bowlers, that must have been quite a, quite a long afternoon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we, did, we did get a run out off my bowling. Yeah, there you go. Chalk it up. <laughs> okay, after after dozens of years of misery, especially in the Caribbean for England's touring cricketers, 2004 uh, was the turnaround. 3-0 win until Lara uh, bedded in in Antigua to ensure that it wasn't a, a whitewash. And it's the series where Steve Harmison uh, made his name. Seven for 12 in Jamaica, six for in Trinidad, I think mm, it was, next yeah. test match. You were there, Dell, as a journalist I at was, the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Joe, you put the piece together for the upcoming magazine, um, taking some quotes from, from Big Steve. Uh, Derek, what's your recollections of that, first of all, that particular series? Well, I think um, most of us were pretty confident on England's behalf that uh, you'd probably come away with a win, as you say, for the first time in many years. Um, because the talk was that Lara was a bit shell-shocked against really quick bowling, and, and from England had, had some really quick bowlers, had Harmison, obviously, and then Flintoff back him up. It was that 05 attack, wasn't it? Yeah. The Ashes 05 attacks, yeah. kind of. Jones, Hoggard also, yeah. 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 And, and Jones, but it, Jones, I think, he only played one game, didn't he, Trinidad? He exactly. took a five for at some point in the series. He got a five for at Trinidad, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. 557 in the second test, yeah. yeah. And what Harmison describes is... is I think the word is supercharged. This is something kind of came over him at Jamaica, something that he'd not really experienced before. Yeah, and he, it's interesting. He puts it down to a time he spent with training with Newcastle United. That's actually, right, yeah, yeah. The winter prior to that Under series. And that he was a bit pissed off because he hadn't got a central contract with the ECB. Uh, he had a miserable time on tour in Bangladesh uh, where he was injured sitting in his hotel room alone with his thoughts, having a, having a difficult time of it. And then subsequently admitted that he kind of exaggerated an injury so he didn't have to go to Sri Lanka, was feeling quite down about the whole thing. Went to train with Newcastle, his boyhood team, trained alongside Adam Shearer, Gary Speed, so Bobby Robson had allowed the whole thing to happen, um, sort of took Harmson under his, under his wing. And he said training with those guys, seeing what they did to be at the top end of their sport, really inspired him for what, what was to come in West Indies. It made him a bit tougher, uh, made him a bit less fussed about what everyone was saying on the outside, a bit more focused on what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but he said even that, he didn't go out there thinking this could possibly happen. He didn't bowl especially well in the warm-ups. Had a quiet first innings in the, of the first test at Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And then it all all exploded where he took... Uh, he got a bit lucky, so I think he got Simon with a dodgy LBW call. It was only meant to be having five overs. Uh, Vaughan gave him one more, which he took Shandipal, which I think was his third wicket. He obviously can't take him off from that point. And he, he rolls on and, and takes takes seven. Seven for 12. Seven for 12. Ne next test... Bounces out Lara on his home ground, as we were talking about, if he's being a bit spooked by fast bowling Harmson, he exploited that. So it's all coming back now, Derek, right? It's all coming back. And it was his... And I, do, I do remember Simon Jones's um, um, spell at that. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching it from sort of side on for once. It was a real kind of coming of age for Harmson. I think it frustrated a lot of people, and Triscothic later told Harmson that the England dressing room had started to really question his commitment and whether he was going to be able to ever do this spring this yeah. And uh, it was a nice little touch after, after the game at Jamaica. Newcastle United had sent out a signed shirt. Um, with all the, all the players assigned it, and Bobby Robson had just written Unique Army uh, with his signature underneath, uh, which Armisen said was one of the more kind of special moments of his career, receiving that shirt. Because he, he seems, he's a big, strong lad, but he's, he's vulnerable in, in lots of ways, and that comes across in his book. 
and I think Newcastle sort of put an arm around him to an extent in a way that perhaps England hadn't at that stage. And I think understanding of people's mental strains at international cricket probably wasn't, well, it definitely wasn't as, as good as it is now. And of course, that began a great 18 months for England. Six series wins on the bounce, yeah. culminating in the 05 Ashes. It would have been good fun to be covering that, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. From, as a, I mean, from a scribe's point of view. I mean, all good, all good teams had a good bowling attack, they're going to be successful, and England suddenly had one, providing they stayed fit. I mean, that was the other thing about Harrison. He had a lot of injury problems as well. But, uh, you know, they had a good little swinger in Matthew Hoggard, yeah. a bit of pace with Harmy and Flintoff, um, and Jai Lela shove it in the rough. Yeah. Outside of leg stump. Uh, and one or two Mavericks as well in that team as well. You know, you mentioned Flintoff and, and one or two others. Um, it, um, the Maverick cricketer is a theme that exists in your in your book uh, pushing the boundaries uh, cricket in the 80s playing home and away um, just come out in the last couple of months um, we've all read it in the office uh, and I'm not just saying this it's, it's a it's a rattling good piece of work it's great fun to, to go through um, and you touch on the on the, that unique time that you played the unique era of, of the 80s a time of you know tumultuous change off the pitch, but uh, it was reflected on the pitch as well. It was kind of chaotic and yeah. shambolic and also thrilling at certain points. Um, what, what is it about that, that era that, that, that you've gone back to? Why, why, why was it so unique? And why, why have you decided 20, 30-odd years on to, to revisit it, <laughs> apart from it being hopefully a bit lucrative and good fun to write? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, <coughs> people have been after me to write books since I retired, and and we you know when I was a cricket correspondent, you never really got time. I, I didn't think anyway. Mm. Um, and, it, and it seemed to be no coincidence that most of the cricket books written by journalists were actually by Sunday correspondents who yeah, didn't have the funny time. that didn't have the time. Um, so it's only when you know I was made redundant, I suddenly had a bit of time on my hands, and uh, you know I was revisited by a literary agent who said, "What about that book?" And so I thought, "Well, why not?" And I had to make it about that era because that's when I played. I suppose that's that's the bit I know best. Is you know, but it has its own folklore as well. I mean, it? I, when I started, I was going to, I was thinking about making it slightly broader, uh, about the more about the, the period and other people. But I, I sort of hit a bit of a brick wall. When you speak to people, they can't remember really. Right. I said it's thirty odd years ago. You can't expect to remember that. I said, well, why not? Well, I so, guess if you can't so remember, it, you weren't there, right? More about me because I could remember things, etc., um, etc. Et so. Uh, it was great fun to write. I mean, you know, who doesn't enjoy a little self-indulgent trolls from one's own past? So. Indeed. And, 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 and I was lucky, as I say in the book, very lucky to play for Essex, a fantastic team who, you know, were not only talented but kind of a bit wacky as well. Uh, and and England was sort of lots of sort of um, big highs in Ashes series in that yeah. in that in that decade, and a lot of lows elsewhere. I mean. It's a very curious time to play for England, I think, in the 80s. Yeah. You, you, you write in the intro um, that the Maverick player became an endangered species as the decade rolled on and professionalism became more of a, the watchword, I suppose. But uh, the Maverick was alive and kicking in the, the Essex side that you mentioned. Um, well, I mean, it was also even in, fearsomely effective size. Six In your 15 years at the club, six championship titles... Three Sunday leagues, a Nat West and a B&H. That's not a bad return Fantastic. Uh, for a club that also played the game uh, with a bit of cheek and a bit of mischief and a smile on their face. Absolutely. I don't know. As I say, thank, thank goodness I played for them. Um, uh, what was the secret? Apart from a, a handful of very good players. <laughs> well, that, that helps, <laughs> it? well, I think the secret is, is that uh, captain initially by Keith Fletcher, who was, uh, I think, a pretty enlightened sort, uh, as he always said, you know, I don't care what you get up to of an evening, you know, when you're in a way match or whatever, as long as it's legal. Yeah. And, as long and as, was it? <laughs> and, and as long as you are ready to give me 100% at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, he said, but if you don't ever give me 100%, I'll come down here like a ton of bricks. Right. And, th- and that was it, and people understood that. So, And, and you know, you, you found out pretty quickly your capabilities. So if you, if you were someone who, say like John Lever, bought a Laveau's previous day, probably go and slake his thirst, six pints, curry. Yeah. Maybe a couple of pints afterwards, and then get a bed and happy man able to do it all again the next day, and, yeah. and could do it. So yeah. If you weren't like that, then don't don't go with John Lever. Don't go out with John Lever. Right. <laughs> you, you told me a story about Keith Fletcher a few years ago that you used to drive into away games sometimes. You'd get in the car with two of you, and he'd say, "Right, right, 
Suggs, where are we, where are we playing? Where are we playing today? Uh, and then after you told him, then he'd break it down systematically what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and who was going to do the job for the side. Yeah, it's it's more about you know would they play a game of cricket if the weather intervened though actually so <laughs> right. who, we, who we got next where it's where actually could kill oh, a bloody negative lot there <laughs> you know yeah, Norman Gifford he never he never wants to play a game of cricket right. in the and, and you know he kind of work it out but also the start of the season he kind of work out where we might get a win and how many wins we would need to win the championship I mean, mm-hmm. it's usually same every year about twelve or thirteen wins to do it you know um, yeah yeah I mean. It's, like to do that, but I mean, yeah. he, he forget the next day what he'd said. Probably. Yeah, sure. He always used to put electric light horse on the on the CD, so right? Or tape. Did that work for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the, the maverick cricketer. Uh, it was if it was an endangered species in eighty eight, eighty nine. Um, what's the state of the maverick cricketer today? Well, it's that maverick cricketers don't fit very comfortably with coach culture. Mm-hmm. Once coaches take over, it's, it's more prescriptive, don't you think? Um, you know, they've got a job of work to do. They've, they've, you know, they, they obviously want to be employed, so therefore they need results, and they're going to pick players who they think are going to give them results with a minimum of fuss. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes maverick players can be a bit high maintenance, mm-hmm. but uh, I think coach culture doesn't really like to indulge them that much. Yeah, and and it may be the right thing, but uh, what I'm saying is that. Yeah, you know, the Mavericks existed because there was no coaches. I mean, you know, if there were coaches, then I'm, I don't think they could have existed in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. And yet, the modern English setup, Joe, it's more enlightened than it would have been um, in previous years. Mm. You know, and there is more of a recognition of otherness and, and, and individual personalities being given the floor to express themselves. England have embraced that, particularly you've seen it in the one-day side, but in the test in the test team too as well. It depends on the definition of maverick. I mean, yeah. Ben Stokes could be a, a maverick cricketer um, and seems to be... But he's the hardest-working hardest cricketer exactly, in the side. Exactly, he's yeah. the hardest-working player in the But at the team. same time, Tom Harris has just admitted that the sponsors are getting a bit uppity about some of the behaviour this game. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, talking of Stokes, who features on the front cover of the upcoming issue... Uh, of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, out next week, folks, out on Wednesday next week. Um, you played with both of them, you wrote about Flintoff, you're, you're observing Stokes now. Um, how good is this boy? Can he, can he eclipse the incomparable Beefy in the end? Well, um, you know, I'm very friendly with Beefy and saw him do some amazing things, including an incredible double hundred. Yeah, against India. Against mm-hmm. India, and he kept smashing Dilip Dovan into the top tier there. Um, Fantastic player, played on his wits, um, never really thought deeply about the game. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure Ben Stokes does. He looks similarly sort of freed up in a way that it's just an instinctive thing for him. And I think probably he's a better batsman than Ian Botham. Do you? Now, right. He's not quite as good a bowler as Ian Botham was mm-hmm. in his pomp. So I think it's Brealey's um, assessment as well was the yeah, same, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, would he become one? I'm not so sure. Once you get into the the career, it's hard to make the kind of quantum improvements you might do to kind of match both of them because he, he went sort of one way. He was a fantastic bowler in the late 70s mm-hmm. and then basically managed to climb thereafter. Mm. But was still, you know, effective yep. in, in doing so. Um, ben Stokes, um, I don't know. I mean, Are we seeing an evolving cricketer in Stokes as well? Look at the some of the innings he played last summer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Either side of the, the, the court case I, and all of that. I, and we saw I, it in Sri Lanka I as well. I think he was initially someone who bought into the, into the thing. I always think it's rubbish, you know, play play your natural way. You know, Well, I'm sorry, at the highest level, you've got to adjust occasionally. It, it, you know, match conditions, and, sorry, conditions and the match situation vary. And you, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to adjust. And I think he showed the willingness to adjust. Mm-hmm. Particularly, you say, those grafting innings in India. Probably thought at the end of it, may as well should have cut out a slogger while I got more. But, <laughs> but I think he showed a willingness, and I, I think he's he's still sticking with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's a fabulous, fabulous cricketer, and even a bit like Ian, mm-hmm. he's uniformly loved and respected with the dressing room. Yeah, absolutely, bang on. All right, well, looking forward, folks. This is uh, this is the build up to this uh, West Indies England uh, uh, Test series kicks off on Wednesday next week. Um, how do we see it, just finally? How do we see this series going? Joe first? Yeah, well, I mean, Crickvin's put some stuff together for us for this upcoming magazine, and it's interesting that West Indies' pace attack have done very, very well, particularly on home soil in recent years. 
against some relatively weak opposition, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, but Gabriel, Roach, Holder have all had really good runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and England's top order is, is still remains flaky. So that's their opportunity, West Indies. Having said that, England bats so deep and have so many bowling options. Uh, I'd be surprised if it's if it's not a whitewash. See it any other way, Dale? I think we should give him a good whopping. Um, not happened in the last two series, out no, there, it hasn't. Is it? I mean, the last time over there, it was draw, wasn't it? Draw, draw last time, one one, and the previous time, uh, Jerome Taylor, Taylor beat them in a in a session in, in, a, in an afternoon. Yeah, yeah, Jamaica. Yeah, well, I think you know, I think Joe's right. Our, our, our top order is still a bit vulnerable if you get some skillful bowling against them. They, they shouldn't miss out if the ball doesn't do much laterally. Um, you know, we should we shouldn't get enough runs, and, and our bowling's you know got great variety, and just come on the back of having a really good tour of Sri Lanka, where you know, it's unusual to win so convincingly. So I think they can carry on that. They might it might not be a whitewash, but should, certainly should win two of the three tests. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, all remains to be seen. Of course, uh, our magazine, uh, Wisdom Cricket Monthly, issue sixteen of the revived magazine, comes out with as, as I say, Ben Stokes cover story. Interviews with Ben Folks and uh, our West Indies England mega feature, as mentioned, that comes out on the same day that the Test Series begins next Wednesday. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, if you are coming to this podcast for the first time, incidentally, we're all over the, the pod waves or whatever you call it. I think that's term, yeah. yeah, pod waves will do. You can get hold of our back catalogue on either the podcast app, Acast, iTunes, Podbean, Castbox, yeah. Podcast Addict, or SoundCloud. There you go. Um, just finally, Derek Pringle, thank you ever so much for joining us. Pushing the boundaries, cricket in the 80s, playing home and away with Derek Pringle. It's a rollicking good read. Um, I hope it's going well for you, Del. Um, 20 quid hardback copy, folks. As good a, good a 20 quid as you're ever going to spend. Thanks ever, <laughs> so much for, so. ever so much for coming in for, all the way from Cambridge. Um, and I hope you enjoy the test series upcoming. Yeah. Uh, And Joe Harmon, thanks as ever for joining us. Thanks very much. We'll be back next week, folks. Uh, Hope you tune in. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.